Even the world knows that Africa has been treated unfairly for the past decades and you know they're beginning to acknowledge it and also call for justice and fair treatment of Africa. The latest person to join this conversation is the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres who says how Africa has been treated in just in terms of lending to them, in terms of climate justice, in terms of doing business with them is unfair and that has to change. And it is essential especially for Africa. The African continent, a historic victim of slavery and colonialism, continues to confront grave injustices. On average, African countries pay four times more for borrowing than the United States and eight times more than the wealthiest European countries. And African countries accounts for just 4% of global greenhouse gas emissions, but it is an epicenter of climate chaos, suffering disproportionately impacts of climate change. Hello there, how are you doing? Welcome to another episode of our conversations. My name is Zendero Ganga. I'm a business journalist by profession and a digital content creator. I love coming on here talking about um, black people, Africa, our empowerment and how we can rise up and take our rightful place at the global stage. You can connect with me on social media at Ganga across all platforms. Briggs is currently ongoing and the latest person to be given a platform to give his remarks is Antonio Guterres, who's the Secretary General of the United Nations. And even though the UN has come under a lot of criticism with how it has treated Africa, some African countries and developing countries, I think at the BRICS summit, he came out and he, he was very equivocal and very categorical in what he said. He came with one agenda, and I think his agenda was to make sure that members of BRICS and developing countries felt seen, felt heard, and sort of gave them the reassurance that irrespective of most of the decisions that the UN makes, um, the UN sees what's happening to them and, you know, the UN is keen to make things right. Um, the first point he spoke about was multilateralism and the importance of, of, of having that because um, BRICS breaking out and gaining its own momentum and power has made the world rethink um, organizations and how people cluster together and the cocoons that people form. And it's just very important that even the people who are seen as less than children of a lesser God have a place that they can go and they have equally powerful partners that can match the West. But in this conversation, they, they're treated as partners and equals and their interests are, are, are looked into. We are confronting existential challenges. The climate crisis is spiraling out of control. A global cost of living crisis is raging. Poverty, hunger and inequalities are growing against the objectives of the Agenda 2030 for Sustainable Development. New technologies are raising red flags without a global architecture to deal with them. And geopolitical divides and conflicts are multiplying with profound global implications, especially the impacts from the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Excellencies, we are moving towards a multipolar world, and that is a positive thing. But multipolarity in itself is not enough to guarantee a peaceful or just global community. To be a factor of peace, equity and justice in international relations, multipolarity must be supported by strong and effective multilateral institutions. 
Look no further than the situation in Europe at the dawn of the last century. Europe was multipolar, but it lacked strong multilateral mechanism, and the result was World War I. As the global community moves towards multipolarity, we desperately need, and I have been vigorously advocating for, a strengthened and reformed multilateral architecture based on the UN Charter and international law. Today's global governance structures reflect yesterday's world. They were largely created in the aftermath of World War II, when many African countries were still ruled by colonial powers and were not even at the table. And this is particularly true of the Security Council of the United Nations and the Bretton Woods Institution. Another key thing that he spoke about were the reforms that are needed at the global stage. I think BRICS is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call to very many organizations, the World Bank, the IMF, the United Nations in itself, G7, G20. It's a wake-up call that if you don't reform how you, you relate, how you do business, diplomacy, if you don't reform how you, 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 you relate with all these other countries, with the exception of people that you think are just equally as powerful as you, then then global order as we know it is going to change. And so instead of dis waiting for that disruption, it's important that we disrupt ourselves. It's important that we start making the changes now so that we don't have to go through a painful disruption in the near future. For multilateral institutions to remain truly universal, they must reform to reflect today's power and economic realities and not the power and economic realities of the post-Second World War. In the absence of such reform, fragmentation is inevitable. And we cannot afford a world with a divided global economy and financial system, with diverging strategies on technology, including artificial intelligence, and with conflicting security frameworks. The IMF estimates that such a fracture could cost 7% of global GDP, a cost that would be disproportionately borne by low-income countries, mainly in Africa. And so I've come to Johannesburg with a simple message. In a fracturing world with overwhelming crises, there is simply no alternative to cooperation. We must urgently restore trust and revigorate multilateralism for the 21st century. And this requires the courage to compromise in the reforms that are necessary for the common good. And it requires full respect for the UN Charter, international law, universal values, and all human rights, social, cultural, economic, civil, and political. And it requires much greater solidarity. One of the most important things to me that he spoke about was the unfair treatment of Africa at a global stage and not just Africa, but developing countries. Um, when you're not as developed as the, as the rest of the world, already you have one arm tied behind your back, but to do business with these other people, they'll force you to put your other arm behind your back. And that puts you at a great disadvantage. Africans, when they're borrowing, or developing countries, when they're borrowing money from international organizations, they pay heavy interest rates. Now, as a business journalist, I'm going to be objective here and say it's all a matter of risk. When you're looking at it from a pure business point, it's risk. If, if you're a high-risk client, then I'm going to slap higher interest rates on you because I don't know if you'll pay me back or not. But then, 
these are countries that have natural resources these are countries that are developing if in all fairness you want to do business with these countries you can do business with them on fair terms here you are giving them money at exorbitant rates but you have your multinationals in these countries um you know doing whatever they do to their natural resources so you know that these people have the wealth that they can use to back up those loans and you can give them those loans at fair interest rates you know that you can put conditionalities on those loans that can ensure that they're diligent with the money but you don't want to do that you want to quickly profit off of this guys you understand the imf will quickly say introduce new taxes but the IMF can also say that you have to account for every coin. And if you're a corrupt country, depending on your corruption index, we're not going to give you money. There are different ways that you can do business with these people, but we always take the shortcut, the easy way out. And that is not to fully lay blame on international organizations. Africans also have to take some responsibility as to why they're in this mess. But along the way, something has to change, you know, and for BRICS, I think and the formation of the new um, development African bank, it's going to be a game changer. And so Antonio Guterres is saying, moving forward, we have to inject some justice and restore justice and balance in the way we've been doing business with Africa and developing countries. And it is essential, especially for Africa. The African continent, a historic victim of slavery and colonialism, continues to confront grave injustices. On average, African countries pay four times more for borrowing than the United States and eight times more than the wealthiest European countries. And African countries accounts for just 4% of global greenhouse gas emissions, but it is an epicenter of climate chaos, suffering disproportionately impacts of climate change. And so looking ahead, I saw two priorities for action and justice. First, on the economic front, redesigning today's outdated, dysfunctional and unfair global financial architecture is essential, but I know it won't happen overnight. Yet we can and must take practical action now. The Sustainable Development Goals stimulus I have proposed, an effective debt workout mechanism and other steps necessary to multiply the resources available for developing countries are vital for sustainable development in Africa and to give options to African governments to support the development of their peoples. We must also drastically step up climate action and climate justice. I have put forward the Climate Solidarity Pact in which developed countries provide financial and technical support to help emerging economies in Africa and beyond to promote an equitable and just transition to renewable energy. And I have presented an acceleration agenda to boost these efforts with developed countries committing to reach net zero emissions as close as possible to 2040 and developing countries as close as possible to 2050. And developed countries must also finally keep their promises to developing countries by meeting the 100 billion goal, doubling adaptation finance, replenishing the Green Climate Fund, and operationalizing the Loss and Damage Fund this year. And as a matter of justice, Africa must be considered a priority in all these efforts. Well, that's all I had for you in this episode of our conversations. My name is Zendero Ganga. I'll see you again 
next time like this video share it with a friend and leave a comment down below